Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. So who are the Latinos leading? That's the big question, isn't it? Like, who, are the, who are the Latinos that are leading? Danny Trejo. <laughs> Danny Trejo. <laughs> you know, be on NPR on, on Saturday at 11 a.m. here. I was going to uh, say, man, Michigan. what's really sad is that that's actually kind of the truth, man. Uh, no, man. <laughs> no, I mean, that's... You got Trejo's tacos, Trejo's donuts. And- yeah, yeah. Everything the guys ever said sounded pretty, pretty right on. I mean, it wasn't particularly deep, but at least it was right on, you know? Well, I think that that's also a big part of it, too. I mean, if you're really going to be a politician, you don't want to say things that are particularly deep. That's what I think, yeah. anyways. <laughs> on the real, I don't know, man. There's, I mean, who's, who's showing some real leadership? How do we define real leadership? Well, you know... Looking at it from a California perspective, um, we have uh, Javier Becerra, right? Attorney General of California. He's, you know, he's one of the top dogs right here in California, has one of the higher positions in the state. And, you know, he's gone head to head with uh, the Trump administration on different issues. Yeah. That's one person I see. Yeah. He's a former machista too, isn't he? Becerra? Yeah. yeah. He is? Yeah, Becerra. Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. That don't necessarily mean anything. All I got to say is Villaraigosa, you know? But... Oh, yeah. He was a former Machista, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you bring up a good point. You know, Villaraigosa was, uh, he was leading the pack, mayor of a major city. Uh-huh. We had high hopes for him. Yeah. And... What what brought him down? You know, was it woman? A woman brought him down? Yeah, you know. I think I think he. I think Mayor, I don't know. Is that what brought him down? My my opinion is that he pretty much out of the light. I think he always had that those tendencies in him, and then as you go along, you find out what a person really about, and he just started showing who he was. You know, all that borlota he had going on with women, and so I mean that's just a reflection of who who he was. I think right. I don't yeah. remember what happened with him. What was he harassing women or something? No, I, I want to say it was an extramarital affair. Yeah, I, I think he had like that. a couple of. I think he had a couple of extramarital affairs, and one of them was pretty like ooh, like I, I don't know. It, it was like, with uh, it was with a TV personality. He he got involved with uh, with a, a news anchor. Yeah, you know, which just brought more attention to to the whole thing. Yeah, I think for people like like him, it's a matter of like being able to scale up, you know, because clearly, you know, so many judgments are made. Like, look at what they tried to do with Ocasio-Cortez, man, in that like little dance video that she did when she was in college or whatever. I mean, and then people were trying to make fun of her or they were trying to say that it proves something about her moral character or whatever. I mean, uh, personally, I was just grateful that they made it available to all of us because I was like, "Hey, she's really, she can really dance good." <laughs> and so, I mean, it just made me a bigger fan of Ocasio Cortez, is what I'm saying. So, I think that, um, you know, yeah, and that's what I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up AOC. 
You know, I think mm. we have a leader right now that highlights, you know, some of the prog most progressive views out there. It's AOC. Youth, she represents youth. She's very young. Being a woman, hey, you know, I think uh, Latina women are one of the major numbers in uh, universities today, right? The Actually, the really interesting thing about that is if you look at this paper that I'm, I'm writing right now or this thing that I'm working on for the Mission Commerce 2070, it's really looking at like demographic information. And one of the things it's saying is that by the year 2060 in this country, there will be no dominant ethnic group, but that Latinas will make up a majority of the plurality, which is wow. fascinating. Yeah, no, it's to it totally fascinating. I mean, I really like AOC. I mean, is AOC going to be able to make the switch? Like, she's going to make the transition, right? Well, from why wouldn't she? By what year was that? Twenty sixty. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nice speaking it in a way that she's not. So, going. so Latino men have forty years to get their shit together, huh? I think it's too late, man. <laughs> I think yeah. we tried. I mean, dude, if we haven't done it in a hundred and something, we ain't gonna do it in no forty, man. <laughs> it's too late. The gravy train has passed you. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I love my brothers, but yeah, let's you know, let's just let's not let's not indulge in uh, groundless fantasy. So I think that now, no, to, I'm I'm to saying, be fair. To be fair, man, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's it's the whole damn gender. You can put you can add whatever group you want to. It's not particularly me Mexicanos or Latinos. No, it's like no. black men, white men, well, white men. Forget about it. Blati <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, as as a gender, whatever stock you put in it, man, we're just like my Tia would say. We're all safados, man. You know, we're all. <laughs> And yeah. I think in the black community as well, you see a lot of black women out there really leading the way in terms of organizing and really pushing this new political agenda uh, in, in ways that we've never, we haven't seen in a very long time. And, and I think as communities, we look to like men, like, and like the one person that we're going to look to, and it's usually a man, yeah. but I'm excited that now we're looking at these women, but I think we need to give them their due. And so the reason that I was saying, not. I'm sorry. The yeah. reason that I was saying that about AOC earlier is I wasn't saying that she couldn't do it. I mean, I was thinking about it in terms of a question that, you know, she's coming from the East Coast, which has a large Latino quote unquote population, but that the real gravity center for Latino population is in the Southwest and that the majority of them are Mexican and she's not Mexican. That's mm -hmm. that's why I was saying, is she going to be able to make the the transition? I mean, I think that she could. I would certainly vote for her, based on her political stances on on a lot of things. But that was really my question, and the reason that I brought it. Well, just real quick, and I mm -hmm. and I will stop talking. I promise. The reason that I brought it up was because if you look at the recent presidential bid of Julian Castro, that dude totally did not get Latinos to vote for him. Like that, it just didn't well, happen. Right, but why? Well, that, I mean, I think that's the question, right? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and right, so here, two part, right? Why? Yeah. And who is it that you're looking for that can kind of check all the boxes for you? Well, that's, I, yeah. I, 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 uh, uh, right? So, and one of our podcasts, we talked about this hero, sheer right, mentality mm -hmm. that we're looking for the one, right? That's colonialist mind thinking, right? Like mindset. 
right? We're looking for that one person to come and save us. Yeah. Right. It, in a community that we're, we talk about being community and everybody coming together, how do you then have just one person that's going to do it for all, everybody? Yeah. When we want to talk more in depth about Julian, uh, me being from San Antonio and knowing some of the particulars and the details, I'll, I'll jump in there pretty heavy. I mean, the guy's not the most inspiring dude in the world. I hate to say it. He's about as riveting as watching paint dry, man. Let's just be honest. Who fun. do you who do you yeah. want, right? Well, but I, I think you do have to find some way. Right. And then so also, like I also one, I, give me two people that are out there on the scene right now that you really like. I, I, it's funny that, that uh, Francisco mentioned Javier Bercera because I do I do I do like him. Uh, I'm skeptical because he's you know he definitely seems to be strong within the Democratic fold. And, and whether he'll stay the course, I don't know. But I have been impressed with him. Um, and then uh, AOC, I think, is, I mean, I'm looking forward to see what sh how she develops. She's not even 30 yet, I think. No. No, she's right? just, so she's, she's young. young. Yeah, she's she got young, a long young. way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think that, I mean, part of the reason that I brought up Julian Castro is because, you know, as I've stated on, you know, the podcast before, um, when he started running for president, I did give him money. I didn't give him a lot. Like I ain't got a lot of money, but I, I, I did my like $10 a month or, or whatever, you know, but mostly I did that because out of a sense of like ethnic responsibility, you know, cause there's this Mexican dude and, you know, everybody was talking about how he's going to get crushed and, and that, you know, that bothers me when, when that happens. Right. So, I mean, it was just like, okay, I mean, I can give this guy $10 a month, but I also know a little bit about Julian Castro too. I mean, like, I don't know him in depth, but I know a little bit about him and um, you know, he's very mainstream. Right. And, but what I think is interesting is that after this particular presidential bid, he seems to be coming out a lot more strongly in terms of like working class issues, like issues that directly relate more to the uh, Chicano Latino community. And I can't help but think that's because he learned some sort of lesson in there because I think that he probably thought, and I can see why he would think this, that if he was a Mexican dude running for a president, that like Mexicans would support him. Right. I can see why he would think that. I don't necessarily think that that's true. But, well, I, <laughs> you know. And I think overall, I think all Democrats have become much more progressive and thinking as to, I think, working class families, like regular people, right? And I, and you brought up people who are currently in the Democratic poll, the Hispanic Congressional Caucus, the yeah. Black Caucus, right? Like, what are they doing and who are they supporting? And I think one of the real fascinating things that's happening is like, and I've mentioned them before, it's the Justice Democrats, mm -hmm. right? They're not taking corporate money, they're doing things differently. And the Democratic Party tried to, hey, <laughs> sorry, and they tried to put in policies so that they could not do things like they did with how AOC and other members of the squad were able to be elected, right? And so I'm, I'm not really looking to see who the Democratic Party is pushing forward, but who are Justice Democrats pushing forward. And if mm. you look on their website, they have a number of candidates, I think, that are at the local level who are doing really great, wonderful things. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to like look and see who those people are and support them. And I think, you know, 
Todd, I listened to your podcast that you did in terms of your book, right? And you said, how do we capture the political imagination in our own community, right? And it's challenging because you just said it about AOC. She's not Mexican. She's not Chicana, right? So if we can't decide if we're going to like somebody or not because of whatever box they're checking, like, how do we then do that? How do we get beyond our own internal, you know, you're this and you're not, right? Doesn't matter. So, and then do Mexicans, do Chicanos, does the Southwest need other people who identify as Latino? Do you really need any of us? That's why I, I threw out that piece earlier, uh, the demographics piece, right? Because I think that we're experiencing is a quantum shift in population and who's going to make up what. And, you know, I mean, by 2060, there's no dominant ethnic group in this country, but Latinas make up the majority of the plurality, right? I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we need to start having a very serious conversation among ourselves about like what that really means. I mean, that's because they don't think that we are talking about that. We're not. And if we can get back, if we go back, take a step back. I, I was Carlos. He was talking about uh, cost. Um, is the problem with, with Julian is his street credibility? You know, is, is it that he, because yeah. that's what we see. we see, you know, she's put in, she walked the neighborhood. She went door to door is, and I know Julian, you know, with his mother, the bit of I know about the story is the family has some credibility, you know, yeah, definitely some deep roots. But is Julian is that what Julian's missing in part? In my opinion, man, okay, just seeing him, like I said, you know, his whole political career just got started here in some like his mom, his mom, you know, has legitimate credibility. She was a old La Raza Unida person, you know what I mean? And the problem is, is that he kind of like tries to to piggyback on that and, and without putting in his own cred you know he it's almost like i can just get it from from mama i personally think his problem is this both of their problems although his brother uh joaquin has always been a little bit more of a firebrand joaquin has always been able between the two joaquin is the one that'll kind of like throw some zingers out there uh, even earlier in his career personally i think julian these guys have always like their political analysis has always been kind of behind. Like, I, I personally think he thought he was going to get where he wanted to get following the Hillary Obama playbook. So he kind of wanted to fashion himself as the Latino Obama. That's really what he, what he, what their playbook, what their strategy was. And then as the, as the political ground shifted, he realized that wasn't going to work anymore. That the whole centrist and the coming of Trump and all that, the whole centrist down the middle type Democrat that was out. People were just kind of frustrated with that. So then he kind of shift gears, I think. And, and to Ernesto's point, I think he did a little light bulb did go off and he did kind of realize like, man, you know, they hate Mexicans much more than I thought. Um, and the combination of those two things, realizing that the Obama Hillary playbook was kind of played out and the realization of, of, of where the reality, political realities are right now, now he's trying to like re Chicanoify himself. It's just not very convincing, man. It's just, it's just not. I do like him. I don't, there's no one else who at this point or within maybe the next four years, he would be able to raise themselves to be in that. And I think 
you're saying he he but i i think it's we need to realize how strong the dnc is and how manipulative they are right it's not julian on his own doing this right somebody's there telling him that he has to be this this and this if he wants to advance right just like nancy pelosi and chuck schumer man they control what happens within the democratic party right and you see it with Kamala Harris, right? Everybody's complaining that they're not progressive enough, that they're not this, they're not that. But that was, you had to follow the playbook or you weren't going to get elected. You weren't getting any money back in the day, right? Yeah. Not a few years ago, a few election cycles ago. But things are changing, right? And so I want to say that the, the machinery, right, behind the DNC is no longer what it used to be. And that machinery is now being fueled a lot by Bernie Sanders and what ha what's happening with Justice Democrats. So, which, which is exciting to see. Right? I think that's, I think it's exciting. I think that, um, I think it, with this type of thing, it's always really important to keep in mind though, that, um, that the way that these, these changes happen I mean, they, they, you know, you have these group of people that come in and they really do impact the way that, that people see things and the, and the way that they think about it. And, you know, I think that they're able to push things, you know, to the right or to the left. I mean, it's the same thing as like what happened with the Tea Party several years ago, right? Like they were able to come in and really push things to the right the way that they did. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that the, the system that we inhabit is absolutely uh, built around the idea that there are always going to be um, shocks to the system, right? And so that uh, allows it, right? The kind of the sort of democracy that we espouse here in the United States, it it, it allows it to absorb those protests and to to make it possible, and you know, to like, and then re reanimate it in a in a different way, you know, and it makes it become part of the the mainstream. It'll be interesting to see, see, not to see, but to see. One of the things, and I know I've said this before in other conversations that we've had, but I mean, in my mind, what this really means is, or what it really shows anyways, is how important it is for us as a community to think about what it looks like to build our own political power, what it means to look like, what it looks like to build our own political party, right? And that's not even to say necessarily that you know, we're going to take over. That's not even, I think, really the the point of a of the political party that we would build. But it, it really becomes a, a matter of figuring out how to have a voice within this system that we inhabit right now. Because right now, we just don't have a voice. Man. I mean, in our last podcast, I mean, we were talking about DACA. I mean, there's 50 million of us, man, and we can't force an amnesty. I mean, that's I don't even want to use the word pathetic, but because it's, I think it's just more than that, right? It's us just being completely divorced from the political process. So, I mean, I'm down with AOC. Don't get me wrong. I, I really am. If I lived where she was a rep, I'd vote for her. If she runs for something national, I'd vote for her. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But, you know. So is it, you know, are we making a, a political pact? We live in a system. We're talking about the system and the way things go about. Um, it's about money. It's about, you know, who you put your money on. And I don't see, you know, us having any kind of a collective economic political pot. 
maybe that's place to start, you know, and we get back to that million dollar March, you know, you know, there's 50 million of us. Hey, each one of us just contributes $1. We got 50, 50 millions, right? That's one way to get started. Alex was talking about also about the system and who's in control. It makes me think about my city here, Moreno Valley, city of, uh, you know, 210, 215,000 people. Um, we have four Latinos on the city council, one African-American, uh, one young guy, two of them, you know, older, a teacher. I'm not sure what the African-American woman, what her background is, but the truth is they're all in the pocket of the developers. So therefore we, what the community gets is warehouse jobs. We got a, we have a similar, I think machine politics issue here in uh, Saginaw, right, Danny, where uh, we have a term limited state representative, Vanessa Guerra is uh, running for, I believe it's County clerk here in Saginaw and her, the incumbent she's running against is a, is a former UAW president. And some of the comments I heard uh, were to the effect of she didn't follow the process, you know, the, you know, wasn't her turn. Wasn't her turn. Yeah. All that other stuff. Wasn't so, her turn. I love that one. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay. All right. Yeah. Danny might be more familiar with that, but that's just some yeah. of the stuff that I've heard. Yeah. Vanessa. Yeah. So yeah, she's maxed out. You know, she's term limited for being a state representative. Honestly, she could probably have moved on to bigger and better things, but she decided to stay in Saginaw and be the county clerk. The thing is that the guy that's there now has been there like 20 years, literally, and he's tight with a lot of Latino leaders in Saginaw, and he's really losing his shit over her running because mm-hmm. uh, she's. She's probably going to beat him. Nobody expected her to win when she ran for state rep. So he's really losing his shit. And he's like calling all the Latino leaders in Saginaw and trying to get them like, uh, get them on his side. And, uh, you know, to their credit, I mean, because I do work with some of them. I mean, they're kind of just staying out of it. You know, I mean, she's done a really good job. Everybody likes her, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But uh, it's kind of funny to watch for me just because uh, the guy that's a county clerk, he, um, him and my dad didn't get along at all. They really got into it a few times pretty badly over uh, over a few different political things. And Danny, your the, dad was a city council person, right, in Saginaw? Yeah. For yeah, how many four years? years? Twelve, 12. Years. But yeah, that guy's been there forever. It's like, what? Come on, you have you've done absolutely nothing in terms of voter outreach, especially amongst minority communities. What what have you done for us? You know, name one voter drive. I mean, and yeah, the county clerk's nonpartisan, but you can still lead efforts to um, to get out the vote to for voter registration. I haven't seen him do any of that. You, you bring up a a pretty interesting another point because when I'm hearing you talk. It makes me think like recently here we had a, again a, um, someone challenge a congressman from Laredo here in, in Texas, Henry Cuellar, which the dude might as well just be a Republican. The only reason he's a Democrat is because he knows he can't get re- elected in Laredo with an R. There's just, I mean, really. And this really fantastic candidate, I can't remember her name, it was like Monica, I can't remember, man. 
It's my bad. She was, they were trying to build her as like the, uh, the Texas AOC and all that kind of crap. She kind of set them straight, but, but she was, she was really impressive. And, uh, she was taking on uh, Cuellar and man, I gave money to her too. I, the little I had, I gave it to her and would, you know, send out information about her because Cuellar just needs to go. She didn't do so well because of that political machine, like, Something that's kind of disheartening is like you look at South Texas and uh, especially when you get into places like Laredo and Browns, you're talking like 90% Mexican-American, man, like 90 over, you know, 95, 98. But that machine politics is entrenched. It's, it's shameful. It's one of the things that kind of worries me sometimes is like everybody keeps talking about the demographic shifting and I'm like, that's great. 90 something percent Latinos or Mexicanos and they'll sell their people. I mean, you know, just look at the history of South Texas politics. So it's not, it's not just about having the demographic numbers. It's also about having the right consciousness and the right, you know, values. And I, and I wonder if even let's, let's bring it in even smaller. Is there legitimately a very reactionary element within our community that's going to reject that younger progressive element coming up? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, you know, <laughs> they're 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 actively re- rejecting them. I think it's uh, yeah. There's a real there's a real generation war that's happening in the Latino community right now. I mean, and there's there's no other there's no other way to call it. I mean, it Move is over old lion. Well, in the in the Saginaw yeah, race, exactly. that's that's kind of the split too. It's some of the older folks, you know, who were in the pocket or whatever. This guy that's been around. He was a state rep. He was in Vanessa's position first whatever till he was term limited out then he became the clerk so she's actually following the same path yeah. it's a lot of the older latinos that i think are going to vote for the guy still yeah but the younger generation they're not trying to hear they're all they're all behind her she's kind of she's a young girl too she, uh, she's a young lady i'm sorry uh she's in her late 20s just like aoc and you know she's done a lot for educating the latino community about the way the system works you know, which is something that me and her have talked about a lot, and she just kind of ran with it. Um, we do a lot of things together, and that's, I mean, like right now, um, if you get a chance, go to her Facebook page. It's Vanessa Guerra, and she has a really great video just walking people through how to do the absentee voter, um, you know, get, get an absentee ballot, how to fill it out, you know, talks about the timeline or everything. It's really good educational stuff that she does. I think it, it's a large part is what Alex is talking about. Like when we think about these different caucuses, the way that these things interact with this machine that Carlos is talking about, that's what I'm saying. We need, we need to start building those types of caucuses, right? Like we need to start building that political machine because we need things, a pack. We, we, a pack would be, would be great. Yeah, it would be good. There's actually a really good movie out right now. It's a Steve Carell movie. I forget the name of it, but you guys should check it out. It just came out, and it's all about, well, about this, about political packs. But, it's the um, John Stewart film, correct? The John Stewart film. Yeah, what's it yeah. called? Uh, I think it's called uh, Irresistible, Irresponsible, something it's, like that. It's ir- I think it's Irresistible. Yeah. yeah, it's supposed to be really good, right? And I don't know if you've heard um, it is really good. John Stewart on the, the movie tour. He's done all these shows about it and podcasts. And for a white man, he is super well-versed in so many of our issues yeah. like when you're talking about marginalized communities right he he had this really awesome 
uh, and I think it's maybe on YouTube, and he talked about reparations with this morning radio show here in New York. That's a black radio show. And he spoke so smartly about it and with such specificity that I, I was very impressed by him. So if there's any talk, and I don't know if there is where you all are at in terms of reparations, like that was really good just as a 10-minute listen about what it was. So... Yes, I want to see it because it's talking about what's happening now. It, it's a really, it's a really good movie. I think the point, and it's part of the point of the movie, and part of the the, the larger point of even this whole discussion, is that this is about building power. You make a political machine so that you can build power, because the allegiance isn't to, it isn't to me, or it's not to Carlos, it's not to Alex, it's not to Maria. It's it is to the machine. It is to the politics that are being the power that's being built. People yeah. swear to defend the Constitution because that's the structure of the machine. Right. I mean, if you look at the machine that got Obama elected, right, all these very wealthy Black people gathering together in Martha's Vineyard talking about the machinery behind and how much it would cost to, to get him up there, right? And they did it. And they were able to do it. And yes, they did it with small donations. But let's not get it twisted. I mean, there was definitely machinery behind him, right? And, and who's in charge of that machinery? And how are they looking at us as a community, right? And maybe they, they're fine with it because we're still talking about the Southwest versus the East Coast and what numbers are there and do the Chicanos need the Latinos and what are the Latinos calling themselves, right? And now, like, I hear so much of everybody's kind of like, wagging their finger at everybody else for what they're calling themselves. I'm like, who the cares, right? We're all brown. We all have these, you know, all, we're all, we've all been colonized, just like North America has been colonized, South America, Central America, Mexico. We're all dealing with the same things, right? And so I think it's how we're internalizing it. And, you know, you see all this stuff and it's like not playing into any of that, right? Word. How are we moving beyond that? Right? And we were talking about what are some of the issues that Latinos have, right? You said it before, they're working class, regular people issues, healthcare, education, housing, right? And that's, I'm sure if you look at any working community, you look at the African-American black community, I'm sure their issues are the same. So how are we then mobilizing with everybody else to talk about these issues? Mm -hmm. Alex, to build on that, um, on how to mobilize or why are we so divided or why there isn't a machine behind some like Latino elected official or um, candidate. I think, I wonder how much, um, and tapping also into the generational conversation, I wonder how much of that has to do with the way that Latinos historically have been conditioned to not be a participating member of society because of their immigration status. So it, it could have been, um, I mean, I'm gonna use like my husband's um, grandmother, for example, you know, she's like second or, yeah, she's second generation um, Mexican-American, but she grew up in a generation where speaking Spanish wasn't well accepted, where showing your like, your Latino pride or Chicano pride wasn't a thing. But then look at her kids. You know, they were able to go to college and be part of groups that identified with those, with that heritage. And hopefully, and then you have a grandchild who 
participated in Obama's campaign in 2012 to raise the Latino vote. So like that speaks to the American history and like how, how conditioned or not we have been um, in participating um, not only in elections, but what happens in our community and what happens in Congress and like what issues are of importance to us. And I think that, I mean, I don't, I'm not a scientist or a researcher and I haven't said that, but my speculation is, look, the amount of participation that Latinos have in California versus Texas. And while, yes, a great part of the population is either Latino, identifies or mixed or whatever you want to call it, um, there's still a big machine of white Americans who still view um, if you're brown, if you speak Spanish, if you have a Spanish name as like an immigrant. So you're not considered because, well, I mean, they don't get to vote. They don't have a voice. What, like, they're here. They have to adapt to us. Yep. But then look at Florida too, right? Florida has a big power, like political power through Cubans because they took off that like hat of being an immigrant, you know, and, and I understand that their immigration experience was different, but just to show, um, I think that one of the things that if we really want to build power or have a pack or even drive money, we ourselves have to take off that hat and, sh and speak with the members in our community who are Latino too, to take off that potential of like oppression of, or conditioned um, and view that because we are considered an immigrant community or with a, the that is heavily represented by immigrants that we don't have a voice. And despite of what, you know, any disagreements that we might have over Obama, we have to give him credit that at least in 2008, he did give us that platform. We missed the chance to keep building on that platform in 2016, and I hope we really take it in 2020. So with that, I'm playing devil's advocate here, and I'll yeah. let anyone. <laughs> no, I think, I think a lot of what you just said, Maria, is, is really actually very insightful. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the Obama part, but like the other <laughs> part about like what hat we're going to put on, you know, or we, as we take off that immigrant hat, I have to tell you, you know, as a person who, I mean, as a person who has spent a lifetime studying, you know, issues that surround the Chicano Latino community. Um, I, I think that you're absolutely right that we have to take off that immigrant hat. I think that the biggest part of the argument is, is that when we take off that hat, and this is, and I see this argument erupting, it has erupted over the last 30 years, is what are we? Are we U.S. citizens or are we indigenous people? And that's, that, I mean, I, sister, I really agree with what you said. I actually like the way you said it. It's making me think about it in, in a, in a, um, in a different way. But why can't yeah. we be both? We can be both. Like, we don't have to be boxed in. I mean, I want to speak from my first generation being an immigrant. I hate the boxes of select your race, select your... I mean, I'm happy to check off on the ethnicity of being a Latina, but, like, every time I'm asked to box myself in, it really bothers me. And so, and even being indigenous, like, we can be both, but we can't say that every Latino is of indigenous descent because the reality is that all throughout Latin America, sure, we had an indigenous population, but we also welcome, like we also or brought or received or however you want to call it, slaves. And so being black Latino is also a thing. Um, we also had 
I mean, I'm going to speak for Venezuela. We had an, a huge immigration of um, Europeans who, sure, they have a, a European heritage, but they consider themselves 100% Venezuelan, right? So, I mean, in how they identify. So we can be Latinos, we can be immigrants, and we can be indigenous. We don't have to be one or the other. It's a matter of saying, okay, I'm all these three things and what I want to speak up and I want to say what matters to me in my community and what I want for my like family and my community. One of the issues that we keep um, talking around is um, uh, what role does culture play in all this? And, uh, and, I, and, that, and that's, that's also related to identity. Now, one of the reasons that um, I wrote a, a paper called The Blueprint for the Next 50 Years was for us as, as Raza, people of Mexican background, to uh, find ways to determine that, that question, you know, who are we? Not just who we are in terms of historical background and how many generations we go back, uh, because I think essentially Mexican Americans are an indigenous people to this country. And the expression, you know, the, the border crossed us, not the other way around, is, is very true. We have been here, you know, from our indigenous side for thousands and thousands of years. But what does that mean? And how do we use that as a means to uh, generate a presence in this country that uh, brings us, you know, brings out our nature as people who belong here, who are not immigrants. You know, we migrate, but every, you know, every country in the world has people that migrate back and forth. So that's not, that shouldn't be the issue. The issue is how do we express who we are and make it the kind of, um, a narrative, you know, I realize that word, that becomes the understanding of who Mexican Americans are. And we haven't reached that point yet. We are still being uh, portrayed and defined by people outside our community. Look at this COVID thing. How many people have you seen on television were talking about how the, the COVID-19 is in politics, in economics, you know, uh, you name it, education. Um, so, what what I'm trying to build, and there's a group of us that are that are meeting, and next to others, uh, is to find a way to arrive at that, our own understanding, promote it, make it understood, so that when people decide they want to vote, whether however they want to vote, they'll have some personal identity that they can reflect upon and they'll say this is who I am what does that mean in terms of how I'm going to vote okay or how I'm going to what kind of products I'm going to buy what kind of food I'm going to eat now where am I going to live who am I going to have you know living with me or you know uh, uh, being my partner all these kinds of issues that have come up you know since the, this is the Chicano movement I was there in the Chicano movement okay some of you we're even born yet, right? Like, we're even a, you know, imagine, okay? And I know that the Chicano movement was a.
four or five different branches of it. We never were able to get together and figure out, well, what does this power mean? We have all this power that we're talking about. It never became um, uh, really activated, generated in a, in, a, in a joint sort of fashion. And we're still there. So how do we achieve that? And I, and I, and I propose that one way to do it is to you know come together. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, and, and we're building that out. But look at the kinds of values we have, the kind of experience we have, the kind of history we have, which is our history is second to none in terms of how, what, how our experience here within this, these new boundaries. Second to none. We had nothing to be faulted about, okay? In terms of our service, in terms of how we helped to build this country. You know, there's, there's Asians, Blacks, for, you know, without any kind of, uh, uh, you know, reference to, to color, let's say. Everybody had a way of, uh, had, a, had, a, had a role in building this country. No less Mexican-Americans, okay? So how do we get that message out? I, I think we have to build it. We have to come to some understandings and then begin to, to, uh, to reflect that uh, in everything we say. And we have to have people who are our politicians aware of it. And either they buy it or they don't buy it. Or we, we develop our own politicians and then we start saying it over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Or, I mean, in all honesty, or, or both. Because, um, yeah, I know, because I often look at uh, people get kind of bogged down in like, well, this strategy or that strategy, and, 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 and that's, that's understandable. But I think sometimes we put things in false binaries, right? It's either this or it's that. Uh, we have to pursue this or that. To be honest, we're in such terrible shape. Uh, I mean, I think we should start like, I'm not a big believer in, in uh, mainstream kind of two-party politics. But I think there's room to subvert. I think let's use the Democratic Party and and let's field candidates uh, who have D's behind their uh, on their names, um, who express the values that we want and, and that we have, and, and push the, the issues. But I also think we should de develop alternatives to the two-party system. Let's go with a third party. Let's go with a fourth party. Let's go with it. You know, I think we should challenge the two-party system, and at the same time exploit it quote in a good way to the best that we can because now we need to do something like wherever we can start uh kind of getting that wiggle room and moving it around you know it's like like uh like when you're tied up you know you start wiggling and wiggling. whatever is working and i think it actually it works on both let's let's again like i said exploit in the best terms of the word the two-party system while at the same time building alternatives uh and see where it goes that's just kind of my opinion, you know. But that has to be, uh, I agree, Carlos, that has to be a conscious effort. It has to be something that we, we stop and think about it. You know, we build and find information, you know, get the information, uh, get opinions, get, uh, and, and, and come to some kind of, uh, let's say, common ideas of that narrative I was talking about. Uh, and however, you know, however it takes us. I think that one of the, the things, too, that it's important to keep in mind, and this is something that both Alex and, and Maria said, and I think that this is also a big part of this, is that when Alex was talking earlier about the way that people are finger-wagging at each other, yeah, like, you know, like what they call each other, 
And then what Maria was also saying a second ago about like little boxes. I think that when we're able to accept as a community across the board that we have to have a conversation that allows us, that pushes us past this. I'm not advocating for for little boxes in, in any way, shape or form. What I am advocating for though, is thinking through how we create a political personality or a political persona for ourselves as a community and even ourselves on an individual level that is the same as somebody saying, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Because when somebody says, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, we have a pretty good idea of where they're at with that. I'm a socialist. What does that look like for our community? I don't think that that just has to do with with Mexicans. I think that that has to do with, well, actually, what I really think is it has to do with whoever wants to be a part of it. That's actually what I think. And I think it doesn't have anything to do with skin color or necessarily ethnic background or anything like that. I mean, anybody can be an American citizen. They just have to, well, you know what I mean, but they have to take the test and they got to say the pledge and they got to pledge to the constitution, right? And so what, what sort of criteria do we have for that in terms of how we build our own political power? And I think that we're, we're, we're like blocking ourselves from getting that sort of, that sort of thing going because of the finger wagging mm-hmm. and because, you know, we're constantly trying to force people into these boxes. And I get it. I think, you know, we, and I'm talking about we as whatever we want to call ourselves, whether you want to be indigenous or you want to be Chicano, you want to be Latina, you want to be Colombian, whatever it is that you want to be Latina, right? Whatever it is that you want to call yourself, right? We're getting bogged down and we're not building a coalition of all of us. We are building pockets that are going to be regional in their strength, right? And so that was going back to my original question, could there be a Chicano-Latina coalition? Or do Chicanos, Mexican-Americans, indigenous folks just want to go and do their own thing without anybody else, right? And until we can grapple with that and start talking in that way, we will forever be making these circles and trying to figure out how to get out of those circles when we're just chasing your own tail. Do you think do you think that some of that has to do with we consciously or unconsciously try to make us all and when I mean us and all like the different varying quote Latino groups kind of off like because we're viewed by mainstream white society as like kind of like just this homogenous monolithic group that sometimes we kind of we kind of uh, internalize that and kind of try to force ourselves into, into um, looking at each other in a way like, why don't we all kind of think the same view, the same or, or whatever, when really that's just not realistic. Like it's not really realistic and it's not really reflective of the history. You know, like I can understand how there can be big differences between let's say a Chicano, uh, Chicano Mexicano in the Southwest who one half of their family are recent, let's say, immigrants from Mexico, but like, I mean, are, are, are Mexicanos really immigrants in the first place? And some of their family might be in the Southwest for hundreds of thousands of years. You know what I mean? That's a big difference than, let's say, somebody who's coming from Venezuela or Colombia. That Those are different uh, perspectives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, they're facing the same oppression, 
and they're facing the same challenges. So, right. so what is our political agenda? Right. Right. That, right. And yeah. So it, and you know, we we had talked about this a, a couple of episodes ago, where we talk about white people, right? White people are still white, but they're still Irish and German and whatever else they are, right? And they still run shit because they're white. And they run white. shit and they're white, right? Because they, they have that allegiance to each other. Right. Yeah. And the Irish still go and march down the street for St. Patrick's Day, right? Everybody still talks about their potato soup, right? Italians, we still go eat pizza and talking about their heritage, right? Yeah. So why can't we do the same? Why is it that we can't be get beyond our own egos, yeah. right? And and we are not all indigenous. And when we had that conversation about, you know, our blackness, right? That's a part of it, right? And so we are stuck in that colonial mindset. And when we talk about it, that's how we're talking about it. So if we're going to truly do something, we got to get out of our own heads and stop in that colonial talk. And that's what I think. Exactly. I think one of the... <laughs> stop it. Dito. <laughs> word of the day is stop it. Stop. Yeah. Oh, my God, Alex. When you it's, talk. Mike. it's true. I just, you know... I, you, know you know, and I agree with you, Alex. Yeah, yeah, At the yeah. same time, you know, maybe is there some apprehension because of that, you know, that we are... We've seen what's happened to other groups and... To a certain extent, we do say, and maybe it's just natural, you know, it does. You you begin to lose some of those roots or the roots begin to spread out, you know, two ways of looking at it. And is that part of what maybe hinders some people that they feel, you know, that you're going to lose your culture, that you're yeah. going to lose your identity? And, you know, we, yeah, we need to look at the other phase. And, you know? and not just that, too. I think the pressures that society has placed on us coming here and being here, right? I think that is also true, right? Like Maria was talking about the fear. There is fear. Like my parents immigrated here in first generation and the fear to conform, to, to blend in with everybody else, right? was very strong. And, and to not get in trouble and, and not say anything that's going to call attention to you. I mean, that's very real. And so we're so conditioned to just, you know, know our place that I think now that we can, and I think it can apply to when we were talking about critical mass and like, there's now enough critical mass of us that are here that are not afraid. And so how do we, how do we garner all that? Why do you think that it's so difficult for us to kind of understand that we're we're unique and we're we're different, but we're the same in a way, or we have a commonality and a common struggle? I this is the thing is that I don't think that we need to be the same at at all. Right? That's that's the that's the part I think that that we've been tricked into thinking. Right? It's like when everybody well, like when somebody says, "Hey, we need to get everybody on the same page." Okay. Now I'm going to tell you, I've been an organizer for almost 30 years. You don't need everybody on the same page, right? You just need a couple of these fools on the same page and then you can get the things done that you need to get done. I think that, I, th- I think that that's one of them. And that that's not to dismiss your question at all, Carlos. I think your question is, is actually really valid one because this is, this is the way that we look at it. What we don't want, I think the part that we're having a hard time with is that we have not been able to make the transition 
I think because of our because of our experience and our history with settler colonialism, we have not been able to make the transition back to the idea that there's a, a larger political entity. Let's use the word nation. That's how things get done here in the United States is because there's a nation that people have an, an allegiance to, right? Like I was saying earlier, we believe in the Constitution. We believe in the Bill of Rights. We believe, well, some of us believe that this is a nation of laws, right? And so that laws are the things that, that run those, that run this world that we live in. The, the issue that we're grappling with, and I think this is where the, the colonialism comes in, I think this is where the finger wagging comes in and the boxing, the putting people in boxes and all this, is that we don't have a conception of ourselves as a political entity that is larger than what we see right in front of us. So there is no way for me to say this is the political identity that people should have Right. Because maybe there's, you know, in my life, maybe there's 20 other people that I would say I have some sort of like, like true political affinity with. Right. They're Chicano. They believe in Aslan. You know, I mean, all of those kinds of things, you know. So it's uh, so we're constantly in that finger wagging. I loved it when you said that, Alex, because I, I see it all the time mm -hmm. with students that are, you know, in my class. They're just like always like, you know, you shouldn't say that. Uh, you know, or that's blah, 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 blah. Anyways, but it's that, that finger wagging that, that constantly is scaling down the movement that we need to try to figure out how to make bigger, right? We want to build a political party. We have to get less defined than more defined. It, because if we get super defined about who's in our political party, there will be two people in our political yeah, party. Yeah, right. And then we'll be like the RCP, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and I... And Go ahead. Too, there's there's a lot to be learned in terms of, of, of like a movement and building political power that we, we can learn from the LGBTQ movement. They identify, like that has to do with their, you know, who they love, who they want to spend their life with, whatever. But they don't have a race uniting them. They don't have a gender uniting them. They don't have, like, they are all different, but they built a political power around what was of their interest. I want to have the same rights to marry someone. I have this, want to have the same benefits if I share my life with, you know, the person I share to like decide to share it with. And so, I mean, different people of different backgrounds of races and whatnot coming together to build that power, advocate for their interests. So if they were able to do it, why can't we do it if we have more in common in terms of heritage even like traditions, why not? What I'm saying is we shouldn't be looking also into that movement and how to build power from there. I really think this discussion should continue. In fact, we touched on a lot of different parts of it. Really, I think toward the, the goal of gaining this kind of a political sense, and I, I think you put it as a persona, uh, we have to have this discussion starting here and perhaps, you know, expanding farther. And that, that's really part of what, you know, our group at Chicanos 2070 is about. To develop that, that, that conversation and have, and have it become the way to build that narrative, that identity that, that focuses in on who we are. And that's who we are. And everybody else in this country, you know, has an idea of who we are. Some use it to ill effect, right? 
to suppress our people. Others, you know, are cool with it. But we, I think I would really recommend that somehow we uh, we continue this or, or start a, you know, a different uh, uh, discussion or, you know, different um, webinar, whatever. But um, this is really important. So I have to say, yeah. Anyway. Hey, homie. I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa. This is the reality dysfunction.